Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and an Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, home brewer, and Advanced Cicerone. Yes, without me, we would not have any recordings. Yep. <laughs> or episodes. <laughs> it would just be us talking and then we'd be like, son of a bitch, we didn't record it. Which harkens yeah. back to our very early days where oh man episodes just kind of do you of remember that sometimes <laughs> welcome false bottom girls started out with a side story <laughs> if you haven't listened in a long time you probably don't remember this but our I don't know second time recording third time recording we were like we've got to get it together we got to do this well we got to do this beautifully and we did. It was, it truly was a we got, and very we had, like, good episode. This was pre-COVID. And so we had a little studio that we would rent and use. Um, so we were in our little studio, just freaking chatting away about who, God knows what. I don't even know. Because <laughs> we didn't record it. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end of it, it was, I don't even know. It was at the end of it. It was probably like the day later or something. Yeah, it was when I went to edit it and was yeah. like, I can't find this like, anywhere here on the this memory beautiful, card. This beautiful, we had finally gotten it together. We had our groove. We, you know, we say that it was such a good episode, but if we went back to listen to it now, sure. we'd probably be like, well, but, actually, if we went back to listen to it now, we would be like, that is a really good episode because we're in a podcast studio and we yeah, were right? so, like, <laughs> really excited Not about doing all the research and... <laughs> I know that is a worn talking down. through how the flow is going to be and all but, of that. And, we used but, to be far more structured. Yeah, but even that, the crucial like necessity that we needed from that episode, which because like we have been doing such a shit job, so to to like really nail it. <laughs> and I mean, like this was great for Jen too, because it was like less breaks, less fuck ups, less editing on her part. Because let's be honest, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and uh, so yeah. But yeah, we've come so far, right? And it's actually, three, three what years. You, you don't realize is that you're not even in the podcast at all. Um, oh, <laughs> I like I edit you completely out. Or if I need somebody <laughs> to like, if I need a, a response person, I'm like, I'm Rachel, and this is what I think. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Extra work. It is. <laughs> it is, and I should probably stop doing it. I have yeah. fans that prove to me otherwise. <laughs> I shouldn't say fans. I sometimes people recognize me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Doesn't necessarily mean fan. fans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So okay. yeah. Well, in true fashion, that's welcome to our episode where we yeah. start off with so something ridiculous. A little William Vanilla. What is that? Willy nilly. Wait, 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 wait. Is uh, is that? Did you just make up William Vanilla, or is that? I mean, William Vanilla is name? long for Willy nilly. Oh yeah. Wait, wait, sure. wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Willy nilly for short. <laughs> William Vanilla for long. Willy nilly. It's like Willy nilly, like a artist. No. Willy Nelly's no. like, you know. Just a saying. Loosey goosey. 
Weasley Nilly should be an artist. Sounds like it could be like an old school 80s hip hop artist. Oh, Kind yeah. of like, See, I was kind thinking of like Vanilla like, and Ice, but willy nilly. yeah, I was thinking like Dust Bowl 1930s, like singing about your feet being sore and like people are wicked and like companies. No, are willy nilly. No, not willy nilly. I can come up with something better with that. But I was like, no, this is like our maybe my persona for my rapping. I started to dive into that the other day for the full oh, version. <laughs> Uh, the master, the, uh, the master, the master, master cut, the master, master. Yeah. <laughs> the master, master cut. Sorry. I'll be sure to let everyone know. We'll have a listening party. Yeah. That'll be, um, Patreon exclusive. <laughs> a, a silent disco with Rachel's, with all of our songs, a private release <laughs> for all Patreon members. <laughs> So yeah, um, we're here to talk about attenuation. Yes. It was a good segue in. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Made a lot of sense. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying art stories, you know, we like we like to keep it on theme. Right. So part two. Yes. Part two. Of it's our... not really part two, it's just that we decided we were going too long. Yeah. Exactly. On the first one. We were like we're, we're gonna talk about part. flocculation and attenuation. And then like forty five minutes later we we were like, well, we should probably stop talking about flocculation <laughs> and get to it. Who knew? Who and knew we were we such fans spend, of the flock? Maybe we didn't spend 10 minutes, first 10 minutes of our podcast talking about willy nilly stuff. Then maybe we would have gotten to it, but then we yeah. wouldn't be the Fox Bottom Girls. So. <laughs> so extra content for you. You're welcome. All right. So. Yes. Speaking of content. But we Rachel. needed to talk about flocculation first before we could talk about attenuation. So hopefully you've listened to that episode um, as we dive into attenuation. Quick recap, flocculation, we're just talking about that is the action of yeast settling um, after primary fermentation and all the different factors that go into that. So um, attenuation, though, attenuation is defined as the decrease of a property of a substance. Webster's Dictionary defines yes, attenuation. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but in beer, we're talking about, we're, we're describing the degree which wort is fermented. Um, and this is like the decrease in the specific gravity of the wort during fermentation as yeast consumes sugar and creates alcohol and CO2. So how well a beer attenuates is how well a beer ferments basically in a way. Um, so there's a couple things that getting into that of describing like what that really means. I think one thing for me, I know as I've, as I first started to learn about beer and study and read, you know, a book and you start reading about something like this and then you start up, there's apparent attenuation and average attenuation and real attenuation. And apparent you're like, what are, degree of real yeah. attenuation. You're like, what is all these differences? <laughs> It happens sometimes with me when uh, we're learning about off flavors and it's like, well, there's, you know, isobutyrate and then isobutyrate some other word after it and then isobutyrate some other word after that and then after that and after that. And you're just like, oh, my God, do I what does all these differences mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like German through. where it's like, you know, like yeah. isobutyl aldehyde. Yeah. Thiol. All. And then thiol one. 
and the then style one dash two and then style <laughs> one dash style. That's and all. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we're going to try to break all that down. Um, right. Not that stuff because we don't understand that, that. Stuff, but... <laughs> but attenuation we will. <laughs> True. Maybe we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we got an outline. It's going well. So, <laughs> so getting the right percent of it. So we talk about attenuation as in percentage. Um, a lot of times these, pa- well, these packets will, or these information on their websites will t- give you a range of what they, that yeast string will attenuate at. And basically we're talking about what it will kind of finish at as an overall uh, percentage of like sugars that are left or should be left in the beer. For I don't know if that made complete sense, but <laughs> we're going to, so basically if a, if a beer has a hundred percent attenuation, there's going to be zero sugar left, left in the beer. That's not right. typically the case. Um, 75% of attenuation, we have about one fourth of the sugars remaining left in the beer. An idea. So t- a lot of these strains typically are around 80% attenuation, I would say. Um, and getting the right percent of, of attenuation is important to for achieving the best results for your beer style. So like, for example, Belgian triple, this is typically is a high attenuated yeast because it's important to have that dry finish, which is a characteristic of that style, right? Um, bigger beers like barley wines, imperial stouts, if they don't attenuate enough, they can be left overly coy or sweet, you know, um, if they have too much residual sugars left in there. So that, you know, yeast health and um, population come into big play on that because you have to have the right amount of yeast and, you know, the higher the alcohol, the more amount of yeast you typically need. So, um, you know, dry beers typically are more refreshing styles like Pilsner's, um, you know, maybe something like a pale ale, or IPA on the drier side, you want them to attenuate a lot and you need that to get that characteristic of that refreshing characteristic. So yes. Interject and just ask you a question. And this is, I don't know the answer to this, Uh, but as we all know, I care very much about sensory language and what things mean. So I've been thinking about this lately with the concept of dry and whether dry is a good descriptor sure. for beer. Yeah. I use it. Yeah. So I'm not like, I'm, I'm not, this is not a value statement on my part, but I'm curious, Rachel, to ask you what you think dry means. Like I've never, I, I don't, I'm brand new to beer and I, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, you just said that this, like a Pilsner is finishes dry. What does that mean? I think and I don't I can, mean to put you on the spot. No, but I can definitely see why that could be confusing because it's not in the sense of like drying your mouth out. Right. right? Like it's not astringency. It's not. Yeah, exactly. You shouldn't feel like a dryness per se. We're not really, we're trying to, we're kind of just referring into the terms of not sweet. Right. That's kind of how I think of it too is yeah. that. But it's weird if you don't explain know it that or explain that right you know although I, mean? like, I do think that a lot of people who you know will like they know that they like a dry wine wine yeah. so i think they're like people kind of intuitively understand what that means but that is one of those words like the same way clean 
you know, yeah, like, what exactly. does that mean? And I understand that it's easier to say dry rather than this is not sweet. Yeah. You know, the same way sweet like not clean sweet. means yeah. absence of esters and phenols. Typically yeah. when somebody says that a beer finishes clean. But also sometimes like I think in the wine world, dry could be associated with like tannic, mm-hmm. which is associated with astringency. And I don't think that is necessarily the case with beer. I right. think I think that's possible. There's definitely possible to get tannins and astringency characters in a beer, but it it's palate displeasing in a way where a dry Pilsner should be refreshing. Right. If that makes sense. Yes. So like, I, I agree with that. And that's just a, a curious thing. Like we learned in our Roxa class, you should have one descriptor yeah. or one off flavor. So diacetyl butter, you yeah. know, and that's kind of, uh, I won't say universally accepted because we know like in Asia, it's usually like rotting rice is what diacetyl True, because smells the like. Differences. Yeah. Right. Uh, so with the concept of dry that's that's just something I've been thinking about lately is how could that be a better descriptor? Because like we just discussed, it could yeah. mean tannic or astringent, but it's like, no, 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 that's not what we mean. It's not that. If it was that, I would say that it was tannic, tannic or astringent. Or exactly. But dryness, you know, if something's astringent, it dries out your mouth. So that is technically a dry beer. But yeah, I, yeah it's easier to say dry than it is like absence of residual sugars yeah i think a good example might be like sweet and unsweet tea yeah for example where this yes i think that's a very good it's not drying out your mouth or producing some sort of stringency but it's not sweet right right or like in statistics you know something is if something is falsifiable, it's not true, it's falsifiable. So it's false or not false, but that's not the same thing. Not false is not the same thing as true. True. Yeah. That's a very lawyer thing to say. Sorry. I love it. <laughs> I know. I love it. I will. Okay. So I do have to, speaking of that, interject very quickly to this interjection to the interjection. <laughs> Last weekend, I was back home in Missouri for my mom's 70th birthday. And my niece is 17 and my sister had made like the signature cocktail was like a Cosmo punch uh, for my mom's birthday. And she had told my niece, you can have one glass of the punch tonight. And um, I think because she told my niece that I don't even know if she put any alcohol in this drink. (laughs) <laughs> because <laughs> I like I was I was drinking it and I was like wow you really don't taste like the vodka and stuff in this and now I'm thinking like I wonder if this bitch <laughs> any alcohol in there or if she's just like no I told my 17 year old daughter she could have a glass and it's a bunch of like it's old ladies with, like who can't drive at night I'm not going to give them a bunch of like yeah punch um who knows but I like to think said, that it's a completely alcoholic-free beverage. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, I'm so drunk. <laughs> but she told my niece, you can have one glass. And uh, my niece told me that. She's like, okay, Aunt Jenny, my mom said I could have one glass of Cosmo Punch. And I was like, uh, did she specify the size of the glass? Yeah, exactly. And she was like, <laughs> No. And I was like, well, I mean, technically, like the punch bowl is a glass. And my sister's like, (laughs) and she's like, what's a lawyer? Always a lawyer. And I'm like, listen, Lily, you got to ask these questions because this is how you 
this, this is, is life. how you get to get drunk at your Nana's 70th birthday. Yeah, but this is just life. Forget yeah. being a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a life skill right yeah. here. Yeah, I was like, listen, you like this is a loophole. She did not specify the size of the glass. So like, yeah. find whatever size glass you want, and that can be your one glass. Find her a liter stied. <laughs> yeah. Here, Lily, I found you a glass. <laughs> And then your, her mom's like, it's fine because it's sugar. Right. Kool-Aid. Right. That, yeah. That does explain now why my sister was not concerned that I gave my niece permission to get a second glass. Because <laughs> <laughs> she drank her first glass because she did not choose. She just used a regular wine glass, which was fine. But she was like, that, like, I drank that really fast. And I'm like, just get another glass. Your mom doesn't know. She's busy. Oh my god! Yeah, but then when my sister was like welcoming everyone, she was like, "Oh yeah, like here's you know here's what all the food is, and here's the drinks." And she was like, "Here's the Cosmo Punch." And I think my sister told my niece or told my daughter she could have a second glass, and we we're both just like, "What? No!" <laughs> yeah, she's like, "I think my daughter's had two glasses of this because her aunt told her that she could get a second glass," and we were both just like, "Who was?" <laughs> we're just babies <laughs> so anyway I will, let, I will let us return back to attenuation but I did just want to have that conversation about what dry means and when yeah, you know, those I of you, you listening to this I would also challenge you to think about that as well and you know maybe there's maybe there is a better definition maybe we don't need to reinvent the wheel yeah if everybody universally more or less understands what dry means, I just don't think it's the best descriptor. Yeah, I get that. No, it's definitely good to point out because someone might, I'm guarantee you someone's thinking like, oh, dry, like a, like when my mouth is, got wakes up in the morning and is completely, dry, has no saliva and I hate it. Like, right. <laughs> that's yeah, what the spear feels like. <laughs> <laughs> It feels like morning mouth. Ugh. Yeah. Imagine that. It's like on the description of a can. <laughs> People would so buy bad. it. You are not wrong. People would be like, I don't know. We'll see about that. Yeah, I'll be the judge for that. Yeah. That oh. would be me. I would <laughs> I'd be like, Well, I'm a master cicerone. Let's find out. <laughs> They're like, aha. <laughs> I win. So, yes, back to attenuation. So we were talking about why it's important for particular beer styles and a different yeast strains are going to produce different, are going to attenuate differently. Um, that it has to do with the fermentability of wort and with also poor yeast health. Um, so poor, poor attenuation can be affected largely by those two conditions. Um, but so although attenuation is how much sugar the yeast is eating, this isn't what we measure. We measure the original gravity and the final gravity, and these measurements indicate the density of solution. So when we say original gravity and final gravity, we're talking about a density measurement of wort. Um, our original gravity is our, what we take the measurement you're taking with your hydrometer, if you are brewing and you're grabbing that hydrometer sample and you're using, um, you're reading your OG on the line, that is the measurement you're taking on brew day. 
And when you're taking your final gravity as that uh, yeast consumes the sugar, that number is going to drop. That's going to be your final gravity when that number is done dropping. Um, and with the calculation, we take those two numbers and that gives us an indication of our alcohol level, but also some numbers we need to figure out the average attenuation of that fermentation. Um, so wort density increases with the amount of sugar dissolved into it. We know that. So the density is an accurate proxy for the real extract of a sugar solution. So real extract. Rachel. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry Rachel, to tell me what real <laughs> extract is. Okay. So real extract is what you would get if you could somehow physically separate all the wort sugars into a little pile and weigh the pile and then compare that to the total weight of the wort and the fermenter. Is that but practical? That is. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> She's just reading my notes. I know. Well, I'm trying to like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to be involved. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> Jen, is that practical? I don't know, Rachel. I, it, I don't feel Tell like me. it is. I feel like if that's it's kind of like taking all of the bubbles out of your beer and putting it into like two and a half pint glasses. Oh, man. Can't really do that. If I could. <laughs> I would. <laughs> tell me the difference between extracts, real ex, or tell me why it's not practical. It's not practical because we use density as a reliable indicator of what the number would be. And real extract like requires you to know the absolute amount of ethanol to calculate the actual amount of the extract remaining. Um, so a good example is when the real extract would equal zero, which means 100% of the sugars is consumed, right? So in this situation, that would actually be a negative value because the density of ethanol is less than water. And that's why seltzer can come up as a negative so like when I do seltzer beer at the brewery, I'll get like negative 0 0.998, stuff like that, 0 0.992, um, which is kind of interesting, kind of weird to think about it being yeah. a negative amount, but right. that's where your super dry attenuative yeast or fermentation is needed with those styles. So we're talking like a uh, low carb beer, adding that uh, enzyme can help facilitate that kind of negative right um value so real extract is like it's not practical um to actually you know get that number if you were going to physically se separate all the wort sugars that are left into a real pile and compare it because there's other things in there there's there's alcohol there's esters there's phenols there's, pro there's proteins um because the the beer isn't just sugar right um so the alcohol is, so with the hydrometer, you know, a hydrometer can't really accurately measure the amount of residual sugars remaining either because the alcohol throws off that reading. So uh, comparing the, the original gravity and the final gravity um, is not accurate when it comes to indicating the real attenuation. So that's why we have this average apparent attenuation. And that's what, it doesn't really matter because that's what brewers talk about. When we talk about yeast, we're talking about the apparent attenuation. This right. It's, it's kind of like IBU, you know, like IBUs yeah. on a beer can is a completely meaningless thing, like measuring or saying that something has 
this many IBUs is is meaningless. It's, you know, like IBU measurement was a in practice and in theory a very specific lab application that then people were like, oh, we'll just put like IBU units on the cans and it doesn't mean anything. And we've talked about that. This is the same thing. Like it's just you it's know, providing it's, you kind of a guideline. Like, right. Like and you're you going know, to be close. You're not yeah. going to be, you're not going to think that you've got a beer that finishes at like 10 4 and yeah. or like 10 004 and then you drink it and it's really sweet. Like that's that that's just not going to happen. So and it's kind of like a guide to know something that like kind of is wrong. Like if you have a 30% attenuation and the yeast you're using says it should be, you know, 90. Right you know, you have a problem. <laughs> right, exactly. And so it's it's one of those things with beer where it's not practical or realistic for like for pilot brewing to have a full lab where you do these kinds of like scientific measurements on every single beer you produce. So it's like, no, average apparent attenuation, we've agreed, that's fine. That's going to get you very, very close. It's not going to be precise, but you're going to be yeah Because it's observed on quantities instead of like physically accurate ones like based right. on observed quantities right Sorry. and so it's a reliable indicator of how much the sugar is going how much sugar the yeast is going to consume basically right. um so if you create a wart with 1050 it specific gravity and a ferment sound to 1010 then our parent attenuation is going to be 80 percent um now, the real attenuation in this case, the actual percentage of sugars consumed is more like 65% because alcohol is less dense than the sugar water, um, as we explained before. Um, so the hydrometer, hydrometer makes it appear that attenuation is higher than it probably is. You know, these companies will express this attenuation in terms of an apparent uh, percentage. Um, and you can use this number when formulating your recipe. It's a good good enough guide so then we have like different factors that affect your attenuation starting with ingredients mash temperatures phs things on the hot side things performances on the cold side i will just start taking us through those real quick if you like well i'll just start out real quick with the how in, some ingredients can affect attenuation so for example darker malts have low fermentability so that thus they're going to have a lower attenuation um average uh, so like roasted malts or crystal malts. So they've had their sugars cooked under high temperatures, at, which produces Maillard products and Maillard products cannot be fermented by yeast. So all these, although these things are good to produce flavor and color, they're not going to be good for fermentable sugars. Um, and then some malts are designed for low fermentability, like a carapils or a carafoam. And those are supposed to enhance mouthfeel and improve head retention. Ha ha! <laughs> you might remember from our foam episode that uh, Rachel is currently dying to death over me being just a real silly Aha! goose this morning. Uh, but with carapils and carafoam, they do say that they improve head retention. They do not. Um, they will enhance mouthfeel, but the when it comes to like foam and head retention, they don't completely understand the science of why a caramel malt, so something like carafoam, why that affects head retention. But the like kind of the best guess they have right now 
is that those Cara products behave more like lipids in the beer than they do like proteins or um, whatever else you'd think I, I would know since I wrote an article about foam, but uh, they don't behave that way, the way that you would expect, you know, like the protein Z and the LTP proteins, they in Cara malts, like Cara foam, Cara pills, they don't behave that way. They behave like lipids. So that means that they're like anti head retention. Yeah. Like uh, lipids, so, like a uh, fatty oil, right? Right. Exactly. So just, and oils are going to diminish head retention. Right. Those are foam negative. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's super um, interesting. I like at, we were at um, our state craft brewers conference a couple of weeks ago and one one of the maltsters had a presentation and they do at their malt house a lot of sciencey stuff for lack mm-hmm. of a better term. So <laughs> I asked them if they had heard that or knew anything about that and, and they had or the guy at least the person I was talking to had not. So I think this is this is definitely something I want to dive into more because because since I've learned this I've been switching things out with our Pilsner trying to really increase that head retention. Mm-hmm. So I went to just 100% Pilsner malt. Um, and now I'm going to replace the amount of care that I used to do with care foam with oats and see what happens because I got an IPA that I use, I think it's like 6% oats in and I get a very clear, clear, clear beer. Mm-hmm. And I just know that's not the super traditional Pilsner recipe, but I'm going to see what happens. Yeah. Because I really need, that's what I want. I want this nice, thick head that's going to be persistent. And I'm not getting, I'm getting a little bit, but I'm not getting what I want. That makes right. sense. So yeah. I'll let you know how it goes. Yes. I'm not totally impressed with 100% Pilsner. And I know there's a lot more that I, it's not just the malt. There's other th- factors that go into it too, but sidebar. Sidebar over. <laughs> so anyways, ingredients can affect attenu- attenuation because of their ability to produce fermentable sh- sugars or not their ability to produce fermentable sugars. Also, sugar adjuncts like molasses, like our dark sugar adjuncts, these can have high amount of dextrins and um, Maillard products. And they give a lot of flavor, but again, these aren't fermentable. And this is not the case with like a white table sugar, I should say. White table sugar is going to be very fermentable. Mm-hmm. It's going to give you a lot of glucose. Um, and we'll touch base on that glucose level in just a little bit. So on the hot side, and your mash temperature can affect your from, uh, attenuation. So we're when you are mashing at a temperature, lower temperature of around, when I say low, we're talking about 148, 149 degrees Fahrenheit. This process, this um, temperature really focuses on the beta uh, amylase enzyme, which is responsible for producing a kind of drier, more fermentable beer. Um, Now, when you increase that mash temperature to about one, maybe 144, 154, 156, that's going to start focusing more on the alpha amylase. Um, And these are both important. The beta amylase enzyme produces most of the maltose. Uh, which is very important for fermentability. And as we, when we get to that analogy about the dinner plate, well, you'll see why. Um, and the alpha amylase also produces maltose, but it also produces less fermentable sugars. And sometimes things like that are very desirable for depending on the type of beer style that you're making. Um, something like, you know, a high 
or a, a big bodied, you know, wheat beer, for example, might have more dextrinous malts or en- uh, enzymes in that wort to help, you know, produce more body in that uh, beer, which is going to be really important when you have a high amount of wheat. So mash temperature also in relation to the pH, pH is really important. pH is so important for like all reasons across your beer. We could do a whole episode. We probably have. We did. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole episode about why pH is so important, but basically your enzymes, your beta and your alpha amylase enzymes are going to produce more efficiently within certain ranges. Um, Beta, you know, about, ideal range is going to be like 5.1 to 5.4. When you get a little bit higher, a little bit lower, that's when the alpha amylase at a little bit higher will start to denature, a little bit lower beta amylase will start to denature. Um, So it's important for that and to be taking those pH measurements. Um, Water to grist ratio, if you have too thin or too thick of a mash, that can lead to poor conversion. And Obviously, if you have poor conversion in your mash, that's going to give you less fermentable sugars in your wort or your fermentation. Um, thin, too thin of a mash, enzy- enzymes and substrates interactions can be limited and can lead, lead to lower enzymatic activity. Or too thick of a mash, the enzymes and substrates substrates are at a higher concentration and very active, but at some point the return will diminish. Um, I have actually seen that with overstuffing. Like, you know, because your mash ton kind of maxes out at a certain amount. It's not easy to produce high gravity beers all the time. So I have seen that happen with our system when you try mm-hmm. to push it with too much grain. Uh, work competition, composition, the degree of fermentability. Um, so basically, if only 75% of your work for, is fermentable, you're going to max out at 75% attenuation, assuming everything goes perfect and there's no issues to switch over to cold side or some just yeast performance and fermentation environment factors. It's a great time to talk about how yeast consumes these sugars and how different yeast strings will set up different dinner plates for you, which um, we are referring to our friend Shana's analogy in her top crop article that we just love. And we should post that picture of it because it's such a fun picture. (laughs) She has these little, yeast string uh, labels with little dinner plates and they have different amounts of maltose and different amounts of glucose and multi-trios and dextrins. And that is, you are providing a plate (laughs) as a brewer for these yeast. And these yeasts have different amounts of characteristics. And so between your plate and their characteristics, you're going to create this beautiful beer that is almost one like not recreatable like it's so amazing to me that we can produce the same beer on a consistent level Mm -hmm. you know and get it out there in the market and keep it that way especially when you get into how generations change over time how attenuation can affect your yeast harvesting or or vice versa back to what i was saying yeast is going to consume sugars in a specific order Maltose is going to be the most amount of sugar, about 40%. So think, let's start thinking about your plate. You have different types of sugar. You have glucose, you have fructose. If sucrose is present, 
The yeast has an enzyme that will break down sucrose into its individual parts of fructose and glucose before consuming them as glucose and fructose, then maltose, and then some yeast uh, can continue on and break down multitriose. Multitriose is a three-glucose sugar that is fermented to different degrees by different strings. Uh, lager yeast typically ferment it more completely than ale. Which is also why lagers are typically described as drier or clean because they can consume they can more consuming. of those yeasts. And same thing with Britannomyces. Yeah, exactly. Britannomyces will we'll get that. And Brett will continue to even break down those dextrins over time, mm -hmm. I believe. So yes. uh, speaking of, you're also left with some unfermentable dextrins. Now, unfermentable dextrins are not horrible. It's not like a bad thing to have in your beer. They provide body. They provide other characteristics that are going to be desirable with mouthfeel. Um, and it can be really important depending on what style you are making. But let's say that's about 20% of your plate are these unfermentable dextrins. Let's say if you even add a beer with like lactose sugar, lactose sugar is unfermentable. Um, you're adding more to your plate that is not fermentable. So, you know, if you have 20% of unfermentable dextrins, you, that limits your attenuation to 80% right there, typically, yeast strain dependent. Um, fermentation time dependent. Obviously, lagers are sitting there longer, longer to lager. <laughs> and lager. Um, lager. Log and lagering, you know, there's still some unfermentable sugars left in that lagering process, whether you are keeping your lager in a tank with the yeast and have pulled some off or whether you've pulled it into a secondary tank. There's still a little bit of yeast in there and some of those sugars in there are, are fermentable and it will continue to clean up. And thus why lager is really good at breaking down those multi-trios, the three glucose sugars. This has more time. All that bringing us back to our awesome analogy, which is basically everything I just explained to you. Is that analogy? <laughs> but yeah, the way that the like the dinner plate looks is like all of those sugars Rachel just said. Think of that as like here's your protein, here's your vegetables, yeah. here's um, your carbohydrate. You know, and yeah. the you select your yeast strain depending on like you know, what are you making? Are you making a lager? Then obviously you need a lager yeast, right? And that those proportions of those different sugars are going to look different than they will for something like an American ale yeast strain or like a British yeast strain. The, like just those proportions are different, but like they're all pretty much there on the yeah. plate. But it's like, well, maybe you don't like Brussels sprouts. So you take a little bit less of those and you take more of the mac and cheese, you know, like well, that's, that's kind of like, what your yeast is doing. Like your wart will, and you as a brewer can also dictate these levels too. It's not just like the yeast strain that's going to mm -hmm. dictate. So, and the yeast is going to eat their dinner plate in a specific order. They're going right. to start with their glucose, which maybe is their vegetable, and then their dextrin, which is their starch. And then, I mean, not, no, they're going to, no, the dextrin is the dessert. No, dextrin <laughs> is like, dextrin I, is like the Brussels sprouts. I, no, no, no. I already had dinner and I'm sneaking out of bed at midnight to go have double dessert. That's what dextrin is. <laughs> But glucose is first, right? And then we have it's fructose, maybe if it's there. But if you, let's say you're adding glucose to your beer. Let's say you, your match ton maxes out at, a, you know, a 6% beer, but you want a 9% double IPA. So you're going to dump in some table sugar to raise that fermentability, which is fine. But you do have to be careful because what does yeast do? It eats the glucose first. And if it runs out of energy eating all these 
glucose and doesn't consume all your maltose, you could have a stalled fermentation. So mm -hmm. when you are adding that sugar addition, you want to be careful that you're not going too high of a percentage. And I believe I, I, someone would tell you not to max out like 15% of the malt bill to 20% of glucose sugar. It feels very high to me. Mm -hmm. um, looking back on my recipes, I would have to do that, but I'm probably sure, I'm sure it's not more than five or 6% for me on uh, whatever yeah. I've done. With my um, double IPA recipe, I also don't add the, just like the dextrose until uh, I've already pitched the yeast. So that way, like the yeast, once the yeast gets started, it's starting to consume like the maltose and then I'll put in the sucrose. So that way it's, or the, yeah, the dextrose, I just use corn sugar. So I put that in. So that way, like the, the yeast has already started to grow and multiply and it's eating the maltose. And then, so it's kind of like, okay, I'm giving them their vegetables first and then I'm giving them the candy, like just the straight. Yeah. Sugar. I, uh. I add it, and I think that's a fine way to do it. I add it in the boil about 10 minutes at the end of the boil. I do that with all sugar additions, actually, mm -hmm. at that time. Uh, because, well, one, it will sterilize it. So if you right. do it your method, be sure, listeners, to sterilize it. Right. Um, which yeah, you that just is make, the like, risk that sugar. I run. Yeah. Yeah. We could do, like, a hot water, just, like, minimalize Minimally. I just made a board. Minimally. Mm -hmm hydrate it so you're not adding a shit ton of water but right that's what we do uh with cask beer sometimes if we need to add a little priming sugar just add a little hot water with it but mm -hmm. uh so yeah so just be careful with your glucose additions um or any any sugar addition you're gonna add you're gonna be adding straight fermentable sugar to it unless you're not unless it's lactose sugar for like a milk stout in which case you'll be adding unfermentable sugar which expect your final gravity to be higher than the recipe without lactose mm -hmm. sugar will be. And that's where you're getting that milky, smooth mouthfeel characteristic. So it's, it's um, intentional, but yeah, we'll have to ask permission to maybe post a link to this article or at least this picture. Cause it's so good. <laughs> I just like it. And then a couple other things real quick that will affect attenuation, obviously pitch rate and yeast health kind of needs to be, you know, over pitching, under pitching, Unhealthy stress yeast, these are all less efficient and may under attenuate a beer. Fresh yeast is always best. Um, typically, manufacturers will already have nutrients in the fresh pure pitches that you're getting. So like the first and probably even the second use, uh, generation use are going to be great or fine. But maybe after that, you might need to add some nutrient to your beer, um, especially zinc. Zinc is really important for beer or yeast health and it most all malt beers will provide enough zinc that you need but if you have like a high adjunct beer you might need to add some in that case seltzer can be a great example of needing nutrients because even the healthy yeast in the presence of 100 ferment 100 fermentable sugar is like massively going to underperform without some nutrients and you're just doing this like there's no malt like you need to give the yeast something high alcohol beer a high alcohol environment can be stressful for yeast. So you typically need more yeast, a little bit more alcohol as in your aerating when you're knocking out. Because once the yeast reaches its limit, fermentation is going to slow down, even if there still are unfermentable sugars. Dry hop creep can introduce enzymes that will liberate more sugars for fermentation. Kind of also the act of just throwing something into the fermenter is going to like 
re-stir up your yeast and that might make a little bit drier of a product because you're kind of restarting fermentation in a way or re-kicking it up and saying, hey, you guys have a little bit left in you. Just keep on going. And then your gravity drops a little bit, thus your attenuation will be affected. Um, fermenting fermentation temperature. If you're fermenting too cold, yeast can fluctuate too early, leaving behind unfermented wort. If you see your fermentation isn't kicking off the way you are expecting and you have like a control, I you know I find kicking it up a degree to, just to see how it goes normally helps. I've, I've found a huge difference between fermenting cold yeast between 64 and 66 degrees yeah huge like i don't even i just go straight to 66 i used to try to do it 64 and it just wouldn't go and then i would end up kicking up 65 and then 66 anyway so now i just start at 66 and way faster nice it's these little differences making a huge difference overall i know that's a lot this is why we had to split it up into a second episode but that's what i've got for attenuation i will add a sensory beer judge uh, nitpick that I have. One of the things that I think we've discussed on here is seeing like a big difference when you go to uh, particularly professional judging competitions. Uh, well, judging pro beers, not yeah. professional judges. And the people who have only ever done like GABF, right, who haven't gone through like the BJCP training tend to jump to conclusions a lot about how beers were made, yeah. which drives me crazy because that that is one of the things that I really appreciate about the BJCP is when they're training you how to fill out a score sheet, they say, do not make assumptions about the process or the ingredients. So when you're giving feedback, you're couching that in terms of if you did this, then I recommend this, something yeah. like that. And one thing that I corrected about my own judging is, you know, tasting beers that have a lot of residual sweetness and saying this tastes under attenuated. Yeah. And what I do now, because, you know, I don't know if it's under attenuated and what I was running into when I would tell people like face to face, you know, like at a homebrew club meeting or something, taste their beer and be like, well, this is a little sugary. Is it under attenuated? And they're like, no, like I hit my numbers perfectly. So I adapted that to say, you know, this this tastes like it's got some residual sugars, so it might be under attenuated, or you may want to revisit your malt bill to adjust the amount of like caramel malts or like dextrin exactly. malts that you're using. So I just like to point that out because that was something that I, as a judge, you know, first of all, getting to the point where I'm like, oh, this is sugary. What would be causing that? Oh, under attenuation and then realizing like, okay, here I am making assumptions about how this beer was made. And so it could, and that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's under attenuated, right? There are other explanations. So I just like to throw that out there that if you're, you know, tasting a beer and you think like this does taste under attenuated, it's not an absolute unless you've got the person in front of you to be like, oh yeah, like my fermentation was a little weird. Yeah. So thank you sense. for coming to my sensory. No, corner. it does. It's a very good uh, point, especially as a professional brewer who gets JBF feedback from someone like this goes and needs more prep character. <laughs> let's let's educate the judges as much as we can. <laughs> <laughs> all to say is that, yes, we all start somewhere. I know I've made judging mistakes. Just read your fucking guideline. If you're out there judging. 
They gave yeah. it to you. Judge on the guidelines. <laughs> Don't judge on whatever someone else next to you thinks, says, or whatever you think. Right. Judge on the guideline. Right. And if you're with somebody who references a North German Pilsner, just fucking like pull that, <laughs> pull yeah. the parachute thing and boom, just get out of that table right there. That's. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's sir. somebody who still calls it micro brews. <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely a white old man. <laughs> so on that note, thank you everyone <laughs> for listening, for making it through this attenuation episode with us thank you for paying attenuation <laughs> that was good that thank was you good. I thank liked you it. okay well if rachel likes it that's all that matters to me yep <laughs> so you can find us at falsebottomgirls.com you can reach us on socials or follow us on socials at falsebottomgirls on instagram and facebook you can email us at falsebottomgirls at gmail.com we do have a Patreon. Also, if you would like to lend additional support, we thank all of our Patreon uh, subscribers. We really have couldn't do it without your additional support. So thank you, everyone. And thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome. And <laughs> scene. this has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the Bruin world go round. <laughs> <laughs>